You're listening to the Rogers Sporting Goods Podcast. This is Aaron Jones. This is Chandler Smith, and I hate long intros, so let's get into it. Well, I was up in North Dakota. We were doing the American Outdoorsman TV show, and we would go to the bar down there. It was called the Peacock Bar. And the pickup line in it was nice tooth, baby. <laughs> they all had one. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Did you do was it early goose you were doing? Or did you do We uh, did early duck. I did it with Delta Waterfowl when Lloyd Jones was director. It was it was uh, so cool. Um uh, we were hunting out a pothole out in the middle of nowhere. And I yeah, and I uh, okay, they're supposed to know and they did. And uh, we get out there and there's ducks. Where I, where I hunt around Squaw Creek, ducks come off the refuge. They're going from east to the west, and 90% of our ducks are. And those ducks came from north, south, east, west, and it was just uh, – the show was so fast and furious that we had it done in probably 30, 40 minutes on the deal. It was just lock and load and, and gad walls and mallards. And I've talked to Lloyd about that place, and they've, they've hunted it many, many times. They never had another day like that on that spot. And I, I said, why Why was that? Why, why were all of a sudden these ducks were there? And he said, invertebrates. He said that you could put your hand down the water and come up with a handful of invertebrates anytime you wanted to. And them ducks collect that groceries. You know, that's high protein invertebrates. Just are. that year? What's that? Just that year? Or was it just like a, and it never been like never that again? Never been like that again. And it was just that year. And they found them by accident. They were going home and they saw a big bunch of cloudy ducks go by. And they all of a sudden, they just like they were gut shot and went down in the pool. And they went over there and they had permission to hunt there, thank goodness. It was crazy. It was absolutely unbelievable. You, hmm. I mean, as fast as you could load your gun, you know, you had to throttle her back, you know, because I think we could kill six up there, isn't it, Josh? Isn't it what? what was your, I, I think so. Yeah, I think it was six. Where'd you go at up there? I was in, like, southern central North Dakota. North Dakota. Mm-hmm. How many of you were up there? Six of us. Six of you? Mm-hmm. You guys, are, you guys are chasing honkers. Oh, yeah. yeah. What you, would you see? I mean, is a lot of good duck hatches they're saying? Or is it- yeah, so we did a lot of scouting trying to find all the Canadas because that was all we could hunt. But the amount of water that was up there was insane. Like, I've never been to North Dakota before, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting to be in that environment and just kind of take it all in. The amount of water that's up there is just incredible. Oh, yeah. And... Every single pothole that you drove by, you'd see ducks on. And that's from flooding, too, or from just... Just from rainwater. Rainwater Rainwater and snow melt. Yeah. Yeah, and just the amount of blue-winged teal and wood ducks I saw was just incredible. Yeah. I uh, was listening to Ag Talk the other day. I actually listened to radio. Um, Listen to Ag Talk. 1,600,000 acres never got farmed this year in North Dakota. Just too wet. Couldn't get enough tractor to go plant it. Mm -hmm. Not a thing. So, you know, I... I, you know, that's not a lot of ground, but yet it is um, uh, in the scheme of things. So I just make me think that a lot of ducks are going to show up early. The first half of the season might be lights out this year because they're going to go where the groceries are. They're, mm-hmm. they, they're hungry birds. And they're gonna. I think they'll come down the hill. If we get one cold snap, which the long-range weather says, we're supposed to have a tremendously bad winter. You believe the farmer's almanac. Yeah. It's it, supposed to be. Uh, exactly. Yeah, so. cold winter. I yeah. say that every year, though. I think so. Cold and snowy, or just cold? Both. I think snow. Yeah, both. both. For sure, though, more snow yeah. than what we've 
scene. Good. I love snow. Yeah. Uh, the uh, An interesting thing, and I watch a lot, is uh, up at the lakes up there, Fort Peck is the first dam on the Missouri River in Montana. It's uh, 12, uh, this morning was 12, 6 below power pool, 12 foot. Now, if you guys have ever been up through there, that I don't know how long that lake is. It's hundreds of miles long. Mm. You take 12 foot of water and back it up. You know, so they're getting braced for something. They've got it figured out that we're going to get into some kind of pattern, and they're going to be probably record snows up through there. And so they're kind of they got their hands slapped last time. They wouldn't let the water out, and Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa got inundated. So this time around, I think they're and I didn't look at the other dams below there, but I hear they're way low too. So they can stage it is what they do, and then they get X amount of feet on, it and then they let it go, and then they brace for the next wave of the thing. So it's going to be an interesting year. It really, really is. Patrick, you introduce everybody we got on here? Yeah. So uh, two special guests today. Um, you've heard him talking already. Fred Ramsey from uh, 810 WHB. You mm -hmm. hear him on the uh, Saturday morning Midwest Outdoor Show. Mm -hmm. Six to seven? Yes, sir. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. And Greg Thompson? Yes, sir. Tom yeah, I pronounced it right. World-renowned fisherman. He's fished everywhere. Everywhere you can think of, he has fished for it. He's like a, one of them fishing shows. They go fish all around the world. You know, you see them. He fish everywhere. Where's the, What's the last place you went to? The last place I went to out of the States was uh, Argentina. And before that, uh, I was in South Africa and, and Namibia. I, mean, and like... I, I actually did part of a radio show from Namibia. Yeah, and the, the best part about that was 6.15 in the morning here was 1.15 in the afternoon there. So I was drinking a glass of the local Pinotage wine <laughs> in Namibia. Right, I mean, all over. Right on it. the Chobe River. I was right on the deck of the what Chobe River. What are you fishing River. for there? Uh, we were fishing for tiger and voodoo catfish mostly. Okay. I caught it's eight like... new species of fish when I did that particular trip. I'm not always going for the biggest i want to catch sure. the unusual or the i've, I've caught, probably caught a little over 350 species so far wow wow and cool. of course chandler chandler which we all know and aaron double a run double a run <laughs> josh peck you've heard him before on these oh, this is and third course, or fourth this year yeah right? it's consistent now yes. it is consistent and then of course me patrick I'm so glad to meet you, Josh. I, we did that radio show, and I know you're, you're, it's your grandfather, isn't it? Gene? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, what a class act. A good man. You're mm -hmm. about as good a man I've ever known in my life, and that's a, quite a statement. I and think he knows me, so. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you tell Gene I said hello. I will do. do. He's a good man. Yeah, we just finished up. Well, I called you from the store, asked you about coming on today, and I was telling you about our whitetail weekend which we just finished up so um if you're listening and showed up to that just a big shout out to everybody that came because it was i mean it blew me away all it, the people that we had show up channeling was it was fun it and was the, and the deer phenomenal that, the deer that the people brought in to get scored for free it was insane well, we had some 205 214 230 yeah. non-typical was the biggest Whoa. i think for that but still Jeez. like the class of deer yeah. wild what would beth score beth is it was working in this office yeah building. so um 
uh, gross, uh, which is what I think it should be, mm -hmm. um, was mid 150s, which is what we nice. were thinking. Of course, you know deductions. So for um, it was 136. I mean, really? it lost almost 20 inches of really? deductions. Yeah. Wow. But if you look, at, it's kind of a. What I should have asked how they scored it, if they scored it typical or non-typical. They would have scored it typical. It's a typical mainframe. It is a typical, but it's just the way it's kind of built. It's mm -hmm. definitely it's a good-looking deer. Oh, deer. yeah, it's so cool. Mm -hmm. Which, that speaking of it, if you want a great story, so real quick, since we brought up Beth Deer, um, so she works HR here at Rogers. And, and, uh, and my, my sister-in-law. Yeah. So she's seven months pregnant. Um, didn't bow hunt any just because bow hunting and, and being that far along and just, you know, not wanting to climb trees and all that. So I was like, sure. okay. And pulling the bow back and like, you know, yeah. crossbow would have been fine, but, but she's like, I'm definitely doing gun season. And we call her the deer whisperer. <laughs> really? <laughs> Seriously. I, I, I don't know. She just, the deer walk up to her. It's weird. Um, probably cause I'm on my phone and she just sits there and doesn't <laughs> yeah. move. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we get her, she gets her bibs on, you know, you can't even zip them up. And we drop her off right at the road. She don't have to walk very far that morning that she shot it. And uh, just kind of waddles out there, you know, seven months pregnant, sits down. And, and I'm hunting actually above her on a bluff in the timber. It's like. She's yeah. on the ground. She's Yeah, yeah. she's ground hunter, seat. doesn't like blinds, you know, just don't sit on the her. ground, edge of a field. You know, tucked into some brush, whatever. Super quiet. Got her pack, little ground seat. Good. She'll just sit there as long as she needs to. And uh, so it's like I don't know. I think the time is around eight thirty, but it was early. Boom! One shot. Well, someone close. So we all start texting each other. Oh, who was that? Beth. I got the big one. <laughs> <laughs> like the big, I don't, I don't know what big one because I, I mean I've had some on camera, but mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I'm gonna sit here because it's still early and I still, you know, about 20 minutes go by and she walks up and she goes, oh my gosh, I've never seen this deer, it's huge. I'm like, okay, I can't take it anymore, so I, I forget my morning hunt. I walk down there and yeah, we had never seen this deer before. It showed up on camera when we went back and looked like three days prior to whatever opening season is for gun seasons, like mid-November. Yeah, November kind of, 11th or yeah, something like that. Somewhere, so. 14th, yeah. And sure wow. enough, it had been, you know, came onto our property the you know, rent. within that few days. Mm -hmm. Never seen it before yeah. previous that's, to That's that. the magic of the rut. That's you, the magic right there. Yeah. Home range just is... Yeah. They go on little walkabouts where they'll venture yeah. new directions, new but a, properties. But a great story because, you know, it's well, like... Wasn't it, was it your wife's deer, though? Or, like, something along the line. I thought you saw... My you deer to... that I shot... Oh, okay. That was, that was the one. The first saw. year I met her, and lucky enough, she had this hunting property that we could go <laughs> Oh, <laughs> man. Amen. And, and I had no... <laughs> I had no thoughts of shooting anything. But I like going. I love... At this point, and I say that, I'm, you know, still young, but, you know, at this point, I like watching everybody be successful. And so we took all four of us in a ground blind. So my wife, Sonia, and our two kids, Sonia, or, uh, Megan and Colton. And then, uh, so Megan had her little rug laying down there in the ground blind. And then it was Colton up to bat. And this is the last day of the season, rifle season. And, uh, 
we're sitting up against this bank tucked in the brush got a ground blind got four of us in there you know three chairs four people and uh like two minutes left of shooting light and this nice buck walks out and it's probably 100 yards something like that i'm like oh man this is unbelievable so i told colton all right you know find it in your sights you know and he can't find it I'm like you know so now i'm getting nervous i'm counting down the seconds on the phone to the end of the season it's the last day we got less than two minutes now and there's no shooting after conservation office is half a mile they can hear you yeah they can hear us i'm like we're done as soon as that timer goes off because i can't find i'm like what do you mean you can't find it it's standing right there broadside (laughs) looking at us he can't find it so i look at sonya like you got a tag you want to shoot it no i'm okay Somebody's got to shoot it. Let's do it. I'm like, so, do you guys mind? I ask permission. Yeah, sure. Do you mind if I shoot You're it? You're a nice guy. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I fire and I rushed it. Like 30 seconds to go now. Missed. The deer doesn't move. Reload. Shoot it again and tips over. And uh, wow. And then we walk up to, you know, I'm kind of teary-eyed, right? It's been my biggest deer ever. The emotion. Sure. You know, the raw emotion of killing something like that. The but that following week, I think there was a little bit of like grudge tension. You know, <laughs> tension. That was her deer, wasn't it? Well, I think her dad's. You know, he had been watching that deer all year because he lives not even a quarter mile away. So he kind of watches the property and yeah. he's like, yeah. the "Big, big ten deer. point, yeah." Yeah. But you know, what are you gonna do? Now it hangs on my wall, and now we can admire it all. Yeah, we all got it now. Yeah. So. You know what I, I find about deer hunters? Uh, I, in my profession, you know, where it seems like everybody, at the time I turn around, somebody acts like they know me, which is great. I, I talk to everybody. But uh, I had a guy two days ago, and same guy two weeks ago. He, he forgot who it was in between, I think. But anyway, he said, I've been hunting the same deer for 17 years now. <laughs> yeah. And I get that a lot. You know, deer hunters... Um, you know, they think they're a magical animal. They think they're smart. They think they outthink us. They uh, they make up these, they conjure up these stories about, you know, how this deer got away from me type thing. And, you know, finally I kind of broke down and I said to the guy, I said, no, wait a minute. Average deer in Missouri lives 18 months. He said, what's that supposed to mean? I said, well, they get caught in a fence. They get hit by a car. They get diseases. They get run down by coyotes. They get run down by running dogs. You know, just all th- tragic things happen to white-tailed deer, you know. And I said, if that it could be the same genetics, you know, as frame-wise, but I guarantee you that's not the same deer I've seen. And it made him mad because he's got it in his head, that deer's 17 years old and he's outsmarting, you know. They're... That's how I cut my teeth in this business is deer hunting. You know, think about hunting funnels, duh. Watching the wind, duh. You know, it's so simple. But yet it can be, you can, your mind can overanalyze everything that you do on this deal. One of the studies, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the transmitters on the deer now they got in Missouri. I've seen some, you know, where they catch them put, put the transmitter the yeah. on them just like the collar yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well they don't they, they they were born there by that pond dam and they're pretty well there i mean that that's just about way it is now they've had one weird deer i think it they caught it's a little town of stansbury missouri and i think he's 178 miles east or something like that but that's you know? rarity no it's yeah. very rare on the deal 
uh, they told me the guy that was doing the transfer, it was a real good story. Uh, they had a deer during the rifle season at, at Albany, Missouri, and they knew exactly where he was at at all times. They could turn that thing on, I guess. And so all of a sudden, this deer is in town. A lady had a big garden, and it growed up in weeds. She was an elderly lady, and she couldn't tend it, right? And it had a bunch of tomato cages and sweet corn that had rotted and fall over. And this deer, they, they came in the morning, and the deer was there. The next day, they came back, and the deer was there again at the same spot. So they get to thinking, he's been shot, he's dead, he's fallen over dead there, maybe we better go take a look. Well, they walk up, and the deer is in between the tomato patch, He's hunkered down, curled up in a ball, and he raised his head up and looks at him, and finally they scared him out of the thing inside of town. Now, it's not the deer was smart. He knew where the soft spot was, and he knew where he wasn't getting any pressure, and they backed it up with telemetry, and they found it at night, right after the sunset, he'd get up and take off, go chase the girls, you know. But whoa, when that sun started getting a little pink in the east, he came back to tomato patch. So, you know, that they, they, they're not stupid, but yet they are. You know, that's where you have to analyze deer and the deal, you know. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on the record saying this. I think there's going to be some world-class deer harvested this gun season in Missouri. And uh, the reason I'm thinking that is because of COVID. Uh, the, the deer lived another year. You know, it's a pretty simple deal. Deer... You know, if they get to, if you can get a deer up to five years old, you know, they, they say all the mental licks and all the stuff, which is, it ain't going to hurt anything. It could help. But uh, deer need old age. That's as simple as it can get on the deal. You know, always analyzing and analyzing. Well, I had Dr. James Kroll on my radio show the other day, and I was talking to him. I said, where will the new world record come from? He said, Indiana. He didn't even hesitate. I figured he'd say South Kansas, you know, you know that's where a lot of big deer are coming out of Kansas. He didn't even hesitate. And I, I don't know why. I don't, I've never checked into Indiana deer regulations, but I assume that must be out of the rut. I, w- I would love to see Missouri gun season go in December yes. instead of November. I, I hunt Kansas and Missouri. I have a farm in Missouri, and I hunt Kansas, and I love that early December gun season. Mm-hmm. I, just, I can't stand Missouri's gun season in the middle of the rut. Yeah, it's crazy. If they really want to do and have some monster whitetail, move it back in December or do like Iowa does. If you're a non-resident, you basically don't want you up there, you know, type attitude. I think it takes, what, like four years on average, something like that? A couple, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure, yeah. I I, I mean, if you think about it, most states surrounding Missouri are a draw. Mm -hmm. Missouri's unlimited non-resident tags. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mo- inexpensive. Yeah, most states Go are... Go change that, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, most states you have you to buy... don't know about this yet. A non-resident hunting license and then the tag. Yeah. Whereas Missouri, right now, you just buy your whitetail tag and that's your license What's and What's it at tag. currently? 265. 265. 265. Yes, 265. So with the... Uh, we're talking about all the seasons. Is anybody... I know Aaron is. How's your... Uh, so dove season's coming up first, which we're... A week, a week away. away. Yeah. Yeah. Who's counting? How's, yeah. <laughs> who's counting? But, you know, first time to dust off the guns, unless you did some really goose hunting. But, nope, uh, I have not. You were talking about 
How's that going? Is the sunflowers and didn't you prep your area? Yeah, I uh, I planted about three quarters of an acre of sunflower. Josh has seen the the pictures, but yeah, they look amazing. It's good. I got them in about two weeks late. Um, luckily, it's private ground, so I'm probably not in a rush to okay. to let them dry out and cut them and knock them down for that September first opener. So I'll probably let them do what they need to do and then and then get them knocked down probably the second week of. September or so, but again, it's private private ground, so I'm not battling for any yeah. competition. But gravel road, power lines, and sunflowers, and three ponds, all within about. Oh boy! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Yeah. And you'll probably above. get out dove hunting. Josh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you get? See, I don't. I mean, I've I've been a couple times, but you know, I'm not huge into it, so it's not something that I've. In some of these public places, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just nervous. You should be. They just yeah. get so they get so packed. I got shot. <laughs> We're hurt. Um, are you gonna do dove hunting? I'll do dove up? dove I mean, hunting on Bob Brown uh, on opening morning because it's tradition with some friends of mine, and we always go every year. Yeah, kind of deal. But uh, and they they do a great job up there, not only for the waterfowl but for the doves. But and yeah, and, do they map it out like a lot of places map out where the fields are? you know, sunflowers and, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of let everybody go. But yeah, you can, you can call, uh, regional offices around and you'll in Columbia or Jeff city or wherever you want to, and they'll tell you exactly where those dove fields are and they go in and shred them. They're running late too, because of the spring was so mm-hmm. behind that why you couldn't get them planted. Just couldn't get too much moisture. Yeah. The ground was wet because it was, it was some CRP that mm-hmm. I had to mow first, but then I had to run a disc through it and it sure. was just it, soggy and I'm not going to run a disc through soggy dirt yeah so but yeah a yeah. little little late but that's okay you ought to come up and farm with me in that gumbo that, oh, yeah. it never dries out no it doesn't <laughs> it's just crazy you go about 15 feet and get underneath the planter and dig it out and go another 15 feet and you, you just go you get so mad at that stuff you know but uh, that's why we have such good duck hunting because it's gumbo and it holds water real yep. well on the deal but boy it's a maintenance freak hard to plant hard to disc hard to do everything on mm-hmm. that thing but yeah you know we manage somehow and yeah. then, uh, and then, when's early teal? Tenth, tenth of September. Well, mm-hmm. For me, it's starting a week from Saturday. A week, and where are you going? Nebraska. Nebraska. Oh, that's right. They do. Don't mm-hmm. they? Where, where are you going, Nebraska? I'm not going to say. Okay, all right. <laughs> that's all right. But the teal herd is up. The flock yeah. is is phenomenal. Yeah, and like I said, in North Dakota, I mean, bluing teal were everywhere. Yeah, or could eat. Is bird. it the Oh, they're so good. Is it the same in Missouri as deer archery from Missouri? Teal? Teal? No, teal open on a Saturday. Tenth or something. Yeah. Oh, the tenth. And then Mm -hmm. archery. It's the fifteenth, whatever day of the week it is. Yeah, Yeah, that's the I think that's Thursday, isn't it? That's the Thursday night Chiefs game too. Uh oh. Oh Oh, no. You have to make a decision, Patrick. Well, I have (laughs) we talked about this before. I so um which I'll get out. We've got a new uh it's not even made yet. So we got a, we had a custom built duck boat. We had to order last year, and it takes like eight to eleven months to get made. Wow, that's um, painful. Yeah, and so they're having trouble, just like anything, with getting all the parts and everything so it could be put together. And I can't remember the the name of it, but um, so we'll probably do a lot more duck hunting when that comes. So I mean, I'll probably get out and do a little teal hunting up at the lake and and you know just walk in and you know use the well after seeing it today uh 
the new Rogers three man. Oh yeah, will be phenomenal. Just an easy pack, right? Mm-hmm. Go in and I've even done layout blinds just if I really want to go light and just throw them on the, you know, and try that. And mm-hmm. then obviously deer season's following, but I think I'm gonna wait a little bit for archery, mm-hmm. let it rest a little bit this year into October before I really get after it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yeah, I do actually I need to uh I need to take a few more does out. So I might I might do the you know the first doe that walks by. Chunk of meat. Getting mm-hmm. a getting <laughs> getting a meat missile. So um how how many different decoys does Rogers I mean they they've got every kind, don't they? How many do you have an idea about this? Yeah. Um like if you did well, like total boxes, or do you want? Are you talking uh, about brands? I mean, total brands. Oh, versions. brands. Yeah. So if we ran through, um, you got Final Approach, Avian X, um, Dakota, GHG. Higdon, GHG, GNH, GNH, Flambo, um, DOA, Bigfoot, DOA, Big Al. Uh, Big Al, if you want to get into Lucky some Duck. silhouettes. So Lucky Duck. Lucky yeah. Duck has some decoys. Mojo's electronic as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we're 12, Amazing, 13. I mean, Mayhem. You're probably it, 15, yeah, 16, 17. Yeah, I mean. When you get into socks, you start to. You get into socks. Yeah, and you White get Rock. In, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you can't find it, <laughs> I mean, we've got it. Yeah. Let's, let's just say you you can find it. Yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a kind of a decoy freak. And uh, I really adhere to my decoys real well, and I clean them every year. And but UV the non-UV paint on or the UV paint so that they will don't glare on the darn thing. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm always amazed, and I, I've been so lucky to hunt at different duck clubs around the United States. Everybody ties their string in the front hole. Scared ducks all face the same direction. Mm-hmm. So don't do that. You know, put <laughs> put at least two to three out of every dozen time in the back hole. And that's called a decoy. It has some decoys don't have that, mm-hmm. but if they don't, if I buy those cheapens and I, they usually last one season, and I drill a hole through and put a hole in the back of them, so they'll turn each direction on the darn thing. So I just, and I just a firm believer in that. Everybody's always arguing about how to set decoys. Well. Leave a hole in the middle where you want them shot. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You know, I just keep it simple, stupid. Don't analyze it an awful lot on the thing, but tie a few of them backwards, you know, three or four to a dozen, and uh, that makes them look a little more natural on the thing. So that's that's what I do anyway. So. I've seen a big shift, too, in uh, spinning, now switching over to water motion. Mm-hmm. Um, just for whatever reason, maybe because they're new and people are – um, you know, like whether it's an agitator or pulsator or whatever. But and we've talked about it on the podcast that Lucky Duck makes really good, and, and Mojo does too. Makes really good spinning wing decoys, and if you get some good ones that last a long time, mm-hmm. you really you can't add enough water motion, but you can have too many spinners. You know? I agree. So uh, not during yeah. not during teal season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Teal, teal love them, don't they? Oh, yeah. I'll put out like nine spinners sometimes Jeez. for teal yeah. just because I can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah the, between the discs and the pulsator and the agitator and the swimmers. And, yeah. um, but a lot of people are buying those way more now, at least at the store from the customers coming in. Yeah. Than, 
you got to know your deal there with those and i i went i'm there with them and i do all the motion i can but uh, uh where we hunt up there it freezes up pretty regular mm -hmm. and uh, we got bubblers out in the cornfield so we can always throw out about three acres four acres of corn and the deal but uh, some of them will ice up on you and, you and they're a little bit of a maintenance freak Mm -hmm. You have to get out of the blind every once in a while, tip them over, and you have to break all the ice off of them and thing. But yep. more motion that you can put in a deal. I mean, I'm 100% believing in that. I think it's not a great hatch. It's a good hatch this year, allegedly, by talking to Delta. Um, I think the first three weeks of duck season is going to be lights out. I think it's really, really going to be good, and I'm looking forward to it. I, yeah. I shot, I had some teal, and I, I built a teal pool, mm -hmm. and I put millet and all that stuff in it, you know, and I turned the pump on, I flooded about five acres, four and a half acres, something like that. And, and I remember the old saying, Gretz Gresham used to be a great outdoorsman, and he said that when them teal come by, you'll shoot at them. If you'll stand still and get reloaded, they'll circle the globe and be back within two minutes, and you can shoot at them again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and more, a lot of validity in that. And the older you get, the faster they get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I've learned a lot about teal hunting over the years and picked up a few things along the way. And one thing that I've noticed that a lot of people do is they shoot at the teal on the first pass that yeah. they get. A lot of times, when you're patient. They'll take that first big swing right in front of the decoys. If you hold off, you just give them a few seconds. They'll spin around and come right in and finish just like Mallard's coming in. Exactly. A little quicker, but yeah, they're going to give you a much better shooting opportunity. Yeah. So if anybody's going out teal hunting here pretty soon, yeah. let Maybe them pass. a little more patience. He just wants to shoot more teal and let the guys pass them down the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, opening day might be a little different story. We but, <laughs> yeah. but there are some places, yeah. too. Is there some states that don't allow robotic? Yeah. Motorized, yeah. Is Arkansas one of them? No. No. They allow motion. They do. It's, North, it's, North Carolina, South Carolina don't do that. Yeah, and I yeah. think what Washington, Washington Oregon. Oregon. I wonder yeah. what yeah. the the thought was on that. I don't know. that. Well, some of those states, too, for the longest time, wouldn't allow lighted knocks either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On, in a, on yeah. a bow, because they thought that gave you an advantage. Well, it gives you an advantage to find your arrow to know whether, one, you had a lethal shot, two, you know, you need sure. to wait it out and to find your arrow. I mean, I think that just passed where you can't use trail, trail cams. Yes. Um, Arizona? Arizona, I believe. Utah? Is that like on maybe? everything, or is it just public ground? Well, I would imagine it would be yeah, public, I would think. Well, I don't know. I, I understand. I think it is public. Yeah. I mean, if it's private, that'd be wild. Um, I mean, there's places, though, in Missouri, you can't do trail cams on public. Yeah, I, I get both sides of it. Um, you start putting trail cams out, and then, you know, they start getting stolen. Or you get, sure. you know what I mean? And so you just get mm -hmm. into this battle with people, and this got so, And then it's just, you know what I mean? It's more of a hassle. But I also like it as an opportunity just to kind of see what's going on and you know it makes you you know i don't know it gives you an idea of maybe where to go hunt instead of just aimlessly walking around thirty thousand acres of open country but um, i did see they passed that mm -hmm. you know I, what i find with outdoors guys from i'm the oldest guy in this room i think and it, it's it's changed so much and um it takes a job, and I know guys that work two jobs, 
and it takes a lot of money to raise a family in this day and age. I was against the trail cameras at the beginning. I thought, you know, get off your ass, go to work. You know, work on these a little bit. Figure them out, you know, deal. But now I understand. You know, I've only got Friday off, or I've only got Sunday off. I don't have time to lollygag around out in the woods like I used to. You know, I'd, I'd spend 80% scouting and 20% hunting. And, what you, you, you know, society has changed things, and you you got to get back to work, you know, is basically what it amounts to. So, you know, if that'll put an edge on you. The only rub I have about in most states don't, is Missouri, you cannot bait deer. I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't be able to bait deer in the deal. But you go during to, season. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, during season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just, you know, go to work at it, you know. Sure. And enjoy the moment. You know, I measure tracks with a tape measure. You know, I learned that from Roger Rothar, which you guys don't remember, but Roger was one of the premier deer, deer hunters out of Ohio. And I, it, it just because it's got a big hoof print doesn't mean it's a big buck. It could be a big doe, too, you know, and the thing. But I want to know, if I'm going in there, I like to look at rubs, how big a tree is they're rubbing on. You know, I like to find a pinch point where they're going. I place a stand so that my wind is – I can't hunt there today. I'd love to go in there and hunt, but I can't. My wind's wrong. You know, I just in the long range forecast says it's going to blow this way tomorrow too, so I can't go in there. And boy, it just drives me nuts. Other thing, just completely drives me nuts. I tell you another thing too, guys, and I'm get babbling here a little bit, but there's a lot of public hunting ground in Missouri, lots of it. Atchison, Holt, any county that you can, and wherever you called well, and everybody goes, well, I'm not going in there. There's too many slobs, and there's too much pressure on the thing. I guarantee you, in that public hunting ground, especially if it's a big hunt public hunting area, two, three, four, five hundred acres, six hundred acres, thousand acres, there's soft spots in there. Now you, you got to get back in there. You gotta, again, go to work, get back in that darn thing. Now the downside of it, of course, is if you do kill one, it's a half, three quarter mile of the road, you know, and the thing. So every once in a while, you get a little upset about that. But it, there is, we, we got a friend of mine that just found a shed antler that I didn't know existed on the face of the earth on public hunting ground on the backside of a public hunting place. I mean, this deer is tremendous. In Missouri? In Missouri. Just found half. Didn't find the other half. But just think, you know, there's places in there, you know, there's places you can't crawl through, let alone hunt it. Did he score that half? Uh, uh, Depends which story you listen to. Yeah. Yeah. He's a. But we're talking a world class. Yeah, something that I had never dreamed of. That's how good it was. And he had an offer on it, a very sizable offer, just half. Just for the half on the thing. And he's pouring dirt and he didn't sell it. But he, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I hunted within a mile of that place on some private ground. I'd have been there. You know, I've. And he's still there. This is shed antler. This is last January we picked it up. The deer's still there. I guess there. you're going to spend more time out there. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. But it, it, it's, a, it's a place, guys, that you can't crawl through. And if you shoot one back in there, there's no access. So you'd have to quarter it and haul it out or you'd something. You'd have to quarter it and haul it out. You'd have to hate them. You know, you got to be flat-bellied and young to do that. You know, And i do it for this one. I don't think I wouldn't. <laughs> but this deer here is world, world class. And I... I I hate to tell you what he told me it scored, but I, I don't know. But I, all he showed me was a picture of the thing. And some guy in Texas offered him a lot of money for half an antler. Now, do you, I mean, did it look like a 
free range deer or did it look like a high fence deer that escaped? No, it was a free range deer. Yeah. There's no around that area that yeah. I know it real, you know. Sure. But this deer, he's just old. He's peaked. You know, I'm adding he's seven year old deer. I don't know that. I'm just going to guess. But, you know, I don't know if he'll be as good as he was. If, if he's a, drops 20%, he's still going to be a monster. And this kid, he's on him. He's going to be back in there on him. Man, it's it's special deer. It's a special, special. Hope he gets him. I do too. I, I and awesome. anybody deserves it's probably him on the deal. So, he's a good kid in in a way, you know. Some of those hardest hunts though, and the effort and the scouting and all that stuff, and then you know, when you are successful, they become the greatest you know, stories. And just the feeling you have, sure do accomplishing that. Yeah, um, for sure, amazing. So yeah. I think a lot of people, the, the successful part's over when they pull the trigger. The the most fun is the building up to it, sure going is. out there, you know, glass figuring them out, right? Figuring it out, yeah. Yeah. getting a glimpse of it once. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's something. I shot a deer one year back when I was shooting for pro line archery. That's how old I am. And uh, that deer. I'll never forget him. He was a monster. He was a good old deer, and uh, got in the Missouri River on me. I never got him, but I did. They did find him, but uh, two hundred two and an eighth is what he scored. And uh, I was, I figured him out. I knew I'd never seen that deer. I knew he was in there. I knew it. I'll never forget. It. I was sitting against the riverbank, and a deer came down through the woods in the dark. And I used to take chlorophyll tap. I was the end of this thing, and I mean, man, I was hook line sinker. And I was shooting for pro line. I was shooting good back in those days. And uh, and he came down walking along the Missouri River in the brush. And I heard him going, like that, and just kept it up. Well, it sounded like an old Johnson outboard motor <laughs> from years ago out on the Missouri River. And I thought, who in the hell would be out here at this hour in the morning going down that cold old river floating ice? And it was cold. And... Uh, and, and all of a sudden, I realized it was him. He was there, and he was right in on top of me. And I let him go because it was too damn dark. But he turned around and came, and he took off. And, I, and I'd set this stand up on what I call master scrape. And I, the old guys understand this. In my life, I've been hunting deer since 10 years old. I'm 72 years old. I've probably seen five in my life, five what I call master scrapes. And generally, you don't see them, you smell them. And this was on a master scrape. And, and while I was in that tree that morning, I passed up seven bucks on off of that tree. And they would come in with their ears back, crawl on their belly because they knew that was his or it was his area. And they would come in looking for a girlfriend, but they didn't want to fight. They didn't want to fight. And they would stand around, and, boy, they were just like on pins and needles. Their twig would snap or a squirrel would bark. They would get the hell out of Dodge on this thing. And then pretty soon, about 10 o'clock in the morning, here he come back there and go, wah, 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 wah. And I've never heard another deer ever make that noise in my life. And down the river he came, and he crawled right straight in underneath of me. Well, I don't like that shot. Nobody likes that shot. I don't care who you are. And I was shooting for pro line at that time, and I was shooting pretty good for for once. And I knew where that arrow was going to hit before, and I was going to spine him just to be straight up with you. And the reason why I shot him, took that bad shot, to this day, I kicked myself in the ass for it. Is the next day was rifle season, and this place was going to get a lot of pressure on it. I knew it was. The family was coming in to hunt it, 
And I thought, boy, if I'm going to get him, I better get him now. I better shove an arrow at him. And I hit a little bit off to one side, got one long, and he jumped in the river on me, and, and I watched him literally sink. I mean, it was, I went and got my boat and, and got my brother-in-law, which I despise, and helped me. And, <laughs> and, and took him up there to help me look for this deer. And uh, I never saw him again. And uh, I was in uh, measuring deer horns up at Hatfield Sporting Goods years and years ago. Guy walked in with that deer, and I said, I shot that deer. Just blatantly said it out loud without thinking, like I always do. And the guy said, well, you might have. He said, I found him in the Missouri River. Oh, and that was him. And, it, yeah. oh. and then, uh, here, you talk about the deer. You know, I have a good friend of mine. He's got a, I've scored him. It scores 190-something. Oh, he's never officially done it. He, lets, he kind of trusts me for an idiot. But anyway, he had never seen that deer. He'd been on that farm all his life. And he got cold and got down out of the tree stand. And there was an old washed-out pond dam. And he, this is a guy named Kenny Teal, he's a great guy. And he got in out of the wind. He said, I'm laying back against that pond dam. And he said, I hear something in the weeds beside me. And this deer came walking around the corner. And he croaked him, hit him in the neck. He was aiming for his heart, hit him in the neck, dropped him like a three-foot putt. And down he went. I take that same gun. It was shooting two foot high and to the right. Well, we took that gun out to shoot it afterwards. And there was an old 303 British mm -hmm. Enfield rifle. And it, it get, I, he said, I said, and he lived on that farm, and he was a pretty good cut-in guy. And he said, I never, ever knew that deer was present and never saw him before. And I just wondered where in the hell did he come from? You know, how, how far away during the rut, during the rifle season, opening weekend. It, it just amazes me. Well, we uh, we did a podcast with Dustin Huff, and yeah. he had mm -hmm. the new number one yeah. deer in the U.S. Typical out of Indiana, yeah, sure ironically did. enough. Yeah. But he said the deer that he shot, there was a guy that had trail camera pictures of it eight miles eight away. Miles yeah. away. Yeah. Eight miles away. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting news. Which t I mean, which I would feel would be an abnormality. I I would but, too. Yeah. But eight miles. <clears throat> now that was November fourth. He shot it, so it was kind of in that. But that was the eight miles away his summer range or like her spring? Oh, no, that was well, just a guy I with eight miles away. The neighbor had been hunting yeah, the deer, the, but he was basing his trail camera pictures off like December through right. February. Eight miles. But mm -hmm. yeah. The, that one pick, it was in velvet. Yeah, there was a pick in velvet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that I think a neighbor had given And it I think him. it started, I think that's what Chandler's alluding to is I believe like. During the cold months, it was at one place and mm -hmm. just kind of shifted. Sure. And then as it got into November, before it left again, mm -hmm. it, that's kind of because remember he had never hunted that area yeah. since he was like a long time, mm -hmm. and so he you know wow. snuck back in there and that and I would imagine that was kind of that deer's range Might during that type of year. Just, you know, happen chance. Yeah, it makes you think what happened. I mean, did uh, dogs get after him, running dogs maybe, or did he get on a hot doe and she took him clear out, which I don't find that to be very accurate. Because it came in yeah. super calm, mm -hmm. nothing around. It was probably just cruising, and it was right before, you know, basically you're most of the time the deer feeding right at sunset. Mm -hmm. It was heading kind of. Mm -hmm that way but who knows so um, so we had paisley worth on who killed the largest white-tailed deer in the world by a female in uh 
Kansas. In Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. yeah. 14 years old, by golly. Yeah, she was and shot it at 25 yards. But they had trail cams. I mean, they're diehard. The whole family's diehard yeah. dinner. They did not even have a trail cam picture of this deer until the third year. They did not find a shed until after the wow. third year. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did that one score? That was, it was two something. That was the I showed you a picture. I of saw the saw a picture. Yeah, it's got to be two fourteen. Does that sound right? Two, yeah, it's two something. Two something. I mean, it's it's a crazy. It was a hundred and two degrees, twenty five mile an hour winds on a Sunday, and yeah. so she said, "Dad, I I, I want to go deer hunting." Her dad said, "Yeah, you never." She know. said, "I got this feeling." So they were so they went out there to the blind, and it looks like one of those fake bales, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One cedar tree about that tall, 25 yards from the thing. When they went in, the wind caught the door and smacked it. And uh, her dad said, well, there won't be anything within two miles of this place. So they sit there all day. They could see everything coming in, coming out, nothing. Mr. Worth dropped something, and he said something, and she said, shh. He said, don't shh me. And she said, dad. That deer had been in front of them for eight hours right by the cedar tree that was down. about that Bet tall, it down and that there. was it, down. it. That wind, just 25-mile-an-hour yeah. wind killed all that sound. I used to not like hunting the wind at all, but mm-hmm. I have and several friends have killed really nice bucks on windy days, mm-hmm. especially, well, during rifle season and in Missouri, but it'll be 68 degrees with a 30-mile-an-hour wind and yeah. high noon. Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. You know, you tell me, you show me a lot of deer hunters and they got them figured out. Uh, they don't. And they never will. And they might as well get that in their head. You know, some people are just lucky. Some people kind of figure them out. And some people are good at it. But it's very, very few. Not a deal. It's like that guy telling me he's been 17 years hunting the same buck. Now, come on. Now, there's you things know. you can do to um, help your area. Yes. Planting. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's certain spots that, you know, you put a stand over just out somewhere. Stay out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, staying away from it. Um, yeah. We were talking about prepping for the season and stuff, and I know this is this is on the fishing side, but when you, because you do all this fishing, when you go, like if you're going to go, it doesn't matter where you're fishing, like the prep work to do, you know what I mean, is there prep that you do that you partake in before you do these big fishing most of the fishing i'm doing these days takes really specific lures uh and sometimes we have to buy the lure bear uh split rings differently different hooks uh yeah uh, because uh, like the the golden dorado down in argentina I, i've caught i've fished i've probably caught 40 peacock bass over 20 pounds i've never seen anything hit as hard as these golden dorada and we were actually using uh, uh, a hook called a bkk treble which is for salt water and we were using 230 pound split rings 60 to 80 pound braided <laughs> and we use two to 300 pound mono shock leader but it's not so much for the shock that there's a lot of rocks with these little uh, oh uh, clam-looking things in them. So these things immediately go down and try to rub in those rocks. And the mono, if any of you guys fish with braided, 
if it hits something sharp, it's just done. It's done. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, believe it or not, at the old Quonset hunt with uh, uh, Steve Rogers was the first one to outfit me with stuff to uh, go peacock pass fishing in Venezuela back in the late eighties. Wow. Yeah. So do you have any adventures coming up in the fall that you do? Uh, I'm headed back to Argentina in October, and then so far next year, all I've got planned, I'm going to go to uh, Trinidad and Tobago for, for uh, and Larry Dahlberg says that's the best place in the world for tarpon. Tarpon. Uh, Larry, L- Larry's a nice guy. I call him frequently and ask him because he, he's fished 89 countries. 89 countries. I don't know if I fished eight or nine counties. There you go. <laughs> <In the States. laughs> hey, let's go back to duck hunting, Josh. Uh, how many decoys? What do you think? I mean, what, let's talk decoys for a minute. You put out a lot. Do you just put out a few? Do you change through the season? Do you What, what goes on? Do you hunt just one spot? Or what, what's going on? It really depends. So generally speaking, I'm running two to three dozen decoys. Three dozen? Because I do a lot of solo hunts. So uh-huh. whatever I'm bringing, I have to carry. But there's also times where I just feel like I need to go bigger. And so mm-hmm. I'll bring 10, 12 dozen decoys. That's a little bit more work. Yeah. But it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But last year, I actually found out that downsizing my spread helped a lot. So I was running like eight decoys with a couple of pulsators. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cool. Interesting. Because I feel like that most people that I talk to, and I've done this too, and maybe I'm doing it wrong, that's the problem, is I expand my spread as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. Is that a general rule of thumb that you should do, or is it really depends on where you're going? It, it depends on where you're going. Like, I'm not going to go hunt a lake with a dozen decoys. Mm-hmm. I'm going to want a bigger spread. I'm going to want a bigger spread. Bigger, more open water, you're going to want more decoys. But okay. if I'm going to go hunt some little pocket in a cattail marsh that's 15 yards across, you're not going to fit 10 You don't want to fill all that yeah, up. Yeah, the ducks need somewhere to land, so yeah. you need to... I kind of I kind of relate it to, like, match the hatch kind of thing. Um, if, you're in, if you're in flooded millet or you're in that marshy area, you know, you flying a drone over yourself, you're not going to see 12 dozen ducks in a little hole. You know, you, you know you'll true. see... You probably see good point four or six, but if you're on a lake, you could go to the center and you see a huge raft of migrators. Yeah. It's potential. I mean, you could see right. hundreds of ducks on a raft in a lake. You know. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you kind of where you're going, or maybe what time of year? I mean, if it's a big migration day, I'll bring out all the strings. Yeah. You know, yeah. bring them all. Yeah. Just go go get it. out of the body of water. Yeah. New birds don't know what they're doing. You bring ever the ducks. put? Um, like say you're hunting from a shore blind or whatever, and then you're you know spreads out in front of you. Do you ever put any on the bank itself? I have it's silhouettes or full bodies or yeah, I, I've done that in the past. It's just a very unique situation mm-hmm. if I need to do that. Um, I see it more with goose hunting. With yeah, goose hunting, yeah, but with ducks, thing. ducks it doesn't matter all that much. But I have hunted some mud flats where I've taken silhouettes and put those out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of like on the edge of the water in that mud, maybe out into the water a little bit, just add some more volume to the spread. Mm-hmm. And what about adding goose floaters to your duck spread? I like doing it on a lake, on big a lake. water, but okay. it, I don't really think it makes that big of a With difference. Small ponds yeah. and marshes. I mean, mm-hmm. a pond, 
you could probably throw four honker floaters out there, six, ten. I mean, it depends. It, like if you're hunting private ground and you got a pond that's going to hold geese, or maybe you'll have a chance to get some flyby pairs. Yeah, mm-hmm. throw, throw some honkers out there. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, in my experience, I've never seen anybody shoot a Canada goose in a marsh. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good statement. Yeah. Uh, do you overcall or undercall? I undercall. You undercall? Yeah. So when I'm when I'm hunting, I generally only call if I need to or I'm trying to just hit them on the corners. Calling on the corners. It's kind of hard to explain. Do you guys know yeah, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know exactly. You know, they, they do that swing, you hit them, wham, 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 and then they turn back around, they swing out again, they hit them, get their attention again. That's generally what I like to do. Yeah. And I like to just run a jerk cord. Yeah. And just put <laughs> as much motion into the spread as possible, call as little as possible because I think a lot of people get in the mindset that more calling and more decoys is the solution to killing still stale ducks. And it's, the I got a little opposite. trick I've been doing and it seems like it's working that I did it last year and the year before. Uh, but I had run-ins with it, but it broke. But anyway, uh, I've got an aerator out of my old boat, you know, and I've got a, um, the, mallard machine in my blind you know the you mm-hmm. set the fast slow up down well i turn hit that button on that one and it'll squirt water about four foot in the air that'll do it and i'm telling you guys it's changed my duck hunting completely and it, you get that duck on that corner and you hit the splash and hit that wah, wah, wah at the same time and he sees that motion i'm telling you they turn around and they don't fall they dive and mm-hmm. they, they want to see that sprinkle you know, when you see ducks, like let's say you pull up on a bridge, you look way down like the Nottoway River or 102 or the Grand or whatever, you hardly ever see the duck. You see the splash. Mm-hmm. So I've developed this thing, and it just it's just a piece of plastic pipe, and I stick it down. i got a bubbler up in front of the blind that's full of water and a pipe sticking up, and I turn that thing on, and I squirt that water three, four, five feet in the air and turn it back off just, just enough that they knew something happened back there. Something landed in the water. Evidently. We had a federal game warden one time, and I'd left it on, and I forgot about it, just to be honest with you. And I walked back to the levee, and here he came and checked us. And he said, some ducks just lit in your decoys. Well, the mallard machine had taken off, you know, while I wasn't there, and I had to run back (laughs) and unhook it. But uh, he, I said, no, no, that's not. And he said, what? I said, no, I created that splash off the mallard machine. My homemade deal <laughs> with a piece of, with a, with a, with a squirter, exactly what it is. You guys do that, you aren't going to believe the difference in your in your how oh many ducks you'll kill. You got to show me how to make one. Well, you just you get a bilge pump mm-hmm. and put it on a timer and put you a five foot piece of flexible hose on top. I put a stake in the ground, wire it around the stake, looks like hell, and it, but the ducks don't care. You know, and it just, and I hit that switch, and that thing goes, and it'll squirt that water <laughs> five, six foot in the air. And I don't, I don't know anybody else doing it. I probably should tell you, but somebody will start building them and manufacturing them. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And they should. On this podcast. Yeah, and they should. And this thing is absolutely out of the blind. We killed 841 drakes, or 841 ducks. Six of them were hens last year, and we didn't hunt as much as we generally do. On the deal, flooded cornfield. You know, it's an ideal against the refuge. Now, where I'm at, you got a call like you. You can't quit. You can't put the call down because mm-hmm. there's so much pressure. There's six duck clubs around me. This is up and, north uh, Missouri. Yeah, northern Missouri, and, and there's six duck clubs around me, and uh, it's very competitive. And uh, boy, you better. Uh, we just it's way, really way over there. call. 
way over call. Do you guys leave your decoys out all season long? Every night, and I, about halfway through the season, I'll take a chamois out there and clean them up because you can't believe the dirt that gets on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. They're sitting on water. You don't think about dirt. But, uh, you know, the wind splashing and all that stuff, and you, your dog runs through the decoys, splashes mud up on them and all that kind of stuff. You know, we go out there and – me and my buddies, and I end up being me. I'm 72. They sit and go, yeah, I'll get that one over there. Get this one over here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we clean them up. And the deal. I, I can't talk enough duck hunting. I, I think we don't know enough. That's yeah. the way I look at it. I Do mean, you change the spread at all, or you just clean the decoys? Generally, as a rule, no. I just leave a hole in front of the blind. Pretty simple, stupid. You know, just make them come in. And if uh, the squirter is right dead center in front of the blind, and squirt it up, and, and uh, you know, that's just the way we do it, you know. Huh. It's so simple, stupid. I don't know why somebody, I just, I I'll said blind. Home Depot after this. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I, yeah, what's this, how do you power the squirter? Well, I, I run a wire for, I got a battery in the blind on okay. a mallet machine thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, not his, mallet machine, it's called, uh, uh, so uh, is, whatever it is. It's got well, the all, you can turn the speed of your mojos up and down off the board on it and all this stuff. So I guess technically I could take one of my old pulsators and use the plug from that and yeah. run yeah. a wire. Yeah. Do it. I'll tell you what, it'll, then, change, it'll change your duck hunt. You just won't believe what you're about to do. My, I got gears turning now. Uh, I know. Those what are you work. doing when you get home? <laughs> <This thing laughs> I'm going to go play with my I'd, pulsator. I'd love to have one to shoot a shot water eight foot in the air. I'd like to see what the heck Yeah. I don't know if you can go find like a what is it thousand? I mean, what's the pulsator? Got a two fifty or five hundred? Seven fifty. Seven fifty. Yeah. You found like a fifteen hundred, whatever. GPMA I want a three yeah. three thousand. Yeah, yeah. Or you can squirt her. And then you could run it on a PVC pipe that all hooks together, yeah. and you can have like three outlets sure, coming out. Sure can. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you <sure> <laughs> have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't done I don't had to. I've just people, got the one oh, pipe man. up in People there. are going to be walking down the dike and go, what the heck is that guy got yeah. in his yeah. spread? He's like a plumber coming to work. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll tell you what, it's it's absolutely frightening what it's done. I haven't told huh. anybody about it. You're the first guys here, and I... We've been you using it now for a couple of years. About it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. so it it'll just flat work. It's simple, stupid. You know, don't overthink it. Just get a bilge pump, put it down to the bottom pipe, put the pipe up into the air, run the darn thing. Now the only problem I had the first one, I had to put cheesecloth around the filter hmm. on the bottom of it. You know, or once I got stopped, get out and whoosh, you know, jump it up and down, whoosh it out, on the deal. But uh, it's just uh, lights out. It's Friggin' lights out because it squirts that water that high in the air. They're 400 yards away. They'll see it. Yeah. And uh, they're going by. You have no chance of doing it. Yeah, so I'll so add that to my list of projects. Well, that water motion yeah. Yeah. works. but Water I motion. I, yeah, I could probably slap something together in about two hours. Yeah. yeah exactly. Once you get the calling on the corners figured out, too, they have, you know, when they're swinging or, you know, they have the, a wing beat and their head tends to do stuff that gives, like, kind of hints on what they need for attention as far as duck calling. Mm-hmm. Some days, I, it doesn't sound amazing, but some days you just have to quack them, like a short quack, all the way until their feet are on the water. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you don't do that, they're going to shortstop you or you know bail because they just have probably stale, have been shot at so many times. I'll tell you something else I've got into, and I, I, I analyze this way too much. I think duck hunting every day. But I don't think they have the eyes that you, everybody thinks they do. How many times you've been outside taking a whiz, and all of a sudden here's a duck about lands down on top of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah, some like, other force. It's, move, you go, it's you, movement. 
is what they're saying, I think. You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. We've got away with flaps. Everybody up there still runs flaps. We don't. We come got corn stalks across the blind. We come up through the corn stalks because I, when you throw the flap, you when you throw the flap, you gave him four wing beats. Mm-hmm. That's 16, 18 feet. Well, I'm not a very good shot, so. I don't want him to have that 16, 18 feet advantage on me. So I just come up through the corn stalks. And Steve Kitchen, uh, the Sitka reps, once taught me how to do that. On the day. Have you guys ever hunted with him? I haven't hunted with him. We, I see, we I see him all the time. Tommy and Dave went on a snow goose hunt. Oh, yeah, they know. did. Remember that? Snow goose hunt, yeah. They had like the carousel of snow geese. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's unbelievable. This looked guy, like some fairground contraption. I have, I've been out there all my life in that bottom. We have flight run, feed run birds mm-hmm. go by every day, three, 400 yards high. So Kitchen leans back on – he might be the premier waterfowl I've ever hunted with, and I've hunted with a lot of them. And he yelled at that duck so nasty. And oh, about 30, 40 of them in a bunch, wave after wave of them going by. He, he said, I'll go jerk a drake out. And he did it. And then he did it again. And then he did it again. So now we <laughs> – after he left, we've changed our calling technique. We'll, we'll hit him. It's always a drake. Don't know why. It's always a drake. And they'll fall up like they're gut shot and ball up that muscle thing and down they come. That Steve Kitchen is the, probably the premier waterfowl hunter I've ever been around in my life. I, I learn everything I get around him, I learn something. The guy's just phenomenal. His dad's even better. You know, I mean, my guy, what a, what a guy. Yeah. I've never been around anybody like him on the deal. So. Yeah. What shells do you like to shoot? I shoot two and three quarter inch deuces. I don't, I'm old and I don't like to recoil. And the reason for the recoil is, is you know, you got to get back in your gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I knew of lawsuits with three and a half inch shells with detached retinas. Hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's too much, to, in my opinion. I'll shoot three inches every once in a while, put it in for the third shot. But <clears throat> two and three quarters. I, I don't shoot a duck. If he's not the right, I don't shoot him. You know, we're, we're spoiled. If yep. he isn't 15, 20 yards away with his feet down, we probably don't croak at him, you know, the darn thing. But uh, we're seeing a big push the twenty gauge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's have you seen gauges. the new twenty eight? Uh, and then yeah, we have a friend of Josh's up oh. up in Nebraska smoking ducks with twenty eight gauge. And you want a moment alone with that guy? <laughs> I mean, that thing is orgasmic. Is it? But wouldn't get. the difficulty be then getting the ammo? I mean, in supply, I mean twelve gauge, three inches like the winter, but right. twenty eight gauge is way yeah. down that line. Yeah, it is. You know, and 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 mass supply for sure. Yeah. Like when the Sweet Sixteen came out. Yeah. It was like trying to find the ammo for it. You know, it takes mm-hmm. a second to catch up mm-hmm. yeah. to the gun being made. Yeah. Sure. I, I still want one of those. What sweet They were in high sweet, demand sweet there for a thousand Yeah. You just go but sub gauges for sure. I see it at the store. It's just like Yeah. You know, yeah, it was bet. twenty gauge and then, you know, twenty eight and we'll like get there. Four ten right now is mm-hmm. off the charts. I'll today. bet it is. All I'll these people that T S S whether yeah, yeah, this TSS stuff, this tungsten super shot stuff they've come out with, just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. So, well, here's here's the thing about sub gauges. I bought a twenty gauge a couple of years ago. I really enjoy shooting it, but this year I almost feel like I'm going to be shooting my twelve gauge a lot more. I don't know why. I, it's almost yeah. like the the luster of the twenty gauge is kind of wearing off. Like mm-hmm. I really like shooting my twenty. Yeah. It's really great for doves, but when it comes down to mallards, I don't know. Kind, yeah. of, kind of leaning more towards the 12 gauge again. Yeah. You know, the, the ultimate guns, right? Beretta Benelli's got some of the finest shotguns they've ever in the history of they've ever made, I feel. 
Mm -hmm. Not a deal. I was sponsored by Remington, and uh, I got a whole bunch of Versamax one day. Came home, and the guys were there waiting on me, and they gave me some Versamax shotguns. Well, they're the sponsors, so you say good things about your sponsors. I don't care who you are, you know, and the other ones that put the meat and taters on my family's dinner. So I said, well, okay. So I started shooting at Versamax. Have you guys ever had one apart? No. Mm-hmm. no There's no, no spring through the stock. You know, your big rod mm-hmm. goes through your stock. So that's where all your moisture collects and goes down inside of there, and that's where you're going to have maintenance problems. And taking that stock off shotguns usually is a, a nightmare experience, you know, mm-hmm. because you can't get on the bolt and, uh, you know, it's a certain yeah. millimeter. I've and, done uh, that in my it, SBU one. Yeah, and it, it gets a pain in the ass. Well, this thing here, there is no bolt going down through the stock. The springs are on the side. It's called a Versa tube. Mm. And the springs are on the side, and they cock when the, when the firing pin, when the king comes back, cocks the two, next one up. And I mean, two and three quarter inch, no, I wouldn't, but it, it's, it's so minute of recoil. It's unbelievable. I shot it yesterday, and I just sat down for a moment by myself, and I thought, there's no recoil on this gun. It's so nice to shoot that gun. Of course, Bremington got sued and got put out of business and, and all the stuff. You know how they made the verse support? You know what it came from? Hmm. They had, in World War II, Germans built these big howitzers, and they would shoot farther than American guns at that time. So, but what the problem was, it was so much uh, explosion going on, so much powder going off, they would blow the gun backwards 16 feet, and they'd have to all roll them back up there, and that would delay reloading mm-hmm. them and all that stuff. Well, these German engineers came out with these tubes that are on the side of the gun, and that stopped. You got as much equal recoil going backwards as you do forward. It hits inversa tubes in there. Mm-hmm. And if you take one apart, it's so simple. You think, why didn't somebody think about this 100 years ago? Yeah, they did in 1941s when they built that gun, their first cannons. But this gun here is so simple, stupid. It's just amazing to you on the deal. It, they got if they, I don't know how they're going to do it now. I don't know if they're going to come back or not. But I, I've tried to get in contact with Remington on many occasions. They will never return a call mm. on the deal, and that's a shame on the deal. I like Remington people because they're American-made product. I, I, I'm an old-school guy. But, boy, I tell you, Benelli, Beretta, they've got to take a backseat to nobody. That gun cycles and recycles and cycles. And if it quits working, take your boot and jack it. You know, I mean, that's just, I've done it over a fence post and put them right back together and away we go again. You know, the deal. They make good products. There's no doubt about it. It's good stuff. Yeah. Man, it's been a joy. It's been fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Let's do it again. It's a wealth of knowledge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always learn something new every time you talk to me. Take your plumbing kit and go to building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's gonna, Definitely. He's going to be he's at Home like, Depot before What time do they home. close? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They open at 6. It's amazing. You know, and the thing. Yeah, you know, I, be a good time. you could just spark it across the battery inside the blind, you know, make it squirt when you want to. You know, yeah. get a switch on it, whichever works, you know, on the deal. But oh, I love that thing. That's unbelievable. Yeah, we'll get into season and see how everybody's doing and catch back up. Everything's going. Fred, we'll do we to get do, back together again? Do we have enough decoys and ammo out there? And that I'm for you. I couldn't. I, I were. I just. You guys had to look at me like I'm the biggest, which I am. But the, the biggest idiot there walked face earth. My mouth was open, all the way down through that 
I just can't believe what's going on. That is just tremendous. I'm so yeah. proud of the Rogers family. They it's, are wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. It's, and, been, uh, it's been a blast the past eight years. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, we've been moving every four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a setup. Yeah. What a deal. It's a shame that you can't almost give a tour, you know, yeah. to the duck. And I know you can't. You're too busy and it's too crowded back there. But gee whiz, what a thing to see. Yeah. I've never saw anything like that in my life. You know, I saw something similar in a grocery store, you know, like that. Where, mm-hmm. But uh, at Beatty Warehouse, but nothing like this. I, I'm so proud of that family. They yeah. are just wonderful people, you know. I think the world, Steve. I remember. I know where they started. You do too. Yes, I do. You knew them back in the old, old days. Oh, I do. All these kids when they're crawling around in diapers on the floor. And the, you're and old. The, uh, you're I out. am old. You're old and wore out <laughs> on the darn thing. So what the hey, you know? Yeah. Hey, I killed a duck. At one more little information thing. I killed a duck uh, one day, and uh, he fell. I had to go to work, and I had it fell over by my pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I had that old stupid dog. It couldn't find nothing. And uh, so I was walking back to my truck, and the other guy stayed in the blind, and all of a sudden this dog goes birdie. And I went, wow, he got something. And he found that duck. And that duck had no it had a band on it, but you couldn't read any of the numbers. Hmm. It would war clear all the way around on the thing. And so I was very proud of that, you know, and it had a big groove where the – it wore on it, you know, and I sent it in to Washington, D.C., and they put chemical on it, and they sent it back to me. The duck was 17 and a half years old. Jeez. That's and awesome. Now it's been passed. Another ironic thing about a band, uh, I read about a lot of stuff like this. They banded a, a duck in North Dakota. It was killed 14 days later in Russia. Hmm. A teal, a teal, green wing teal. Holy cow. You know, you know, 14 thing, days. It got up and winds aloft, I would assume. You know, and couldn't get back down or something, or maybe they bruised, he banged his head, or who knows, anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he might have been delusional. But uh, 14 days later, killed in Russia. You got to be scratching your head when you look at that. Yeah, you know? yeah, Isn't that amazing. You call it in and report it, and be like, you know, this was this was just banded a, 14 <laughs> days ago. Yeah, there's a story about the dip band with no numbers on it. I was watching Monday Night Football, and my phone rang, and I'd get I'd talked to some gal in Washington D.C. And this gal called me. She was from Louisiana Tech University. She had banded that duck as a graduate student. She was mm. a professor there. What, really? And the first thing she said, I don't know how to ask you this, Mr. Ramsey, but did you kill that this season? She thought maybe I'd held it for years or something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the thing. And I said, no, I did. I get it this last November. She said, wow. As far as I know, at that time, it was the oldest duck ever recorded to be harvested. But it's been surpassed since then in the deal. But I still got it. Wow. I still got it on my lanyard out in the truck right now. And I just love it. I never want to stop and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's definitely plan on getting back together yeah. sometime. Yeah, I'd we'll love to. Up. We, we have love all sorts of stuff. See everything's uh, going. As long as he comes, I want to talk duck hunt with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have more to talk We can about. talk about duck hunting all day. And the yep. squirter he's going to make. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Once he gets it made, we'll call you back in here and see how yeah. it works. Get your plumbing, <laughs> get your plumbing kit out and get, go to Simlin Pipe together. Yes, deal. sir. Yeah. yeah. Now I All appreciate right. you guys coming in. I appreciate you asking lot, us. So. I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, more. I don't get enough talk duck hunting. You know, I, yeah. don't, I don't get enough talk deer hunting. Yeah. You know? That's what we do. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We get an hour and. uh it just flies by. Oh, you know, we'll yes, be in there, sir. and I'll be poke, poke him and say, get out, get out, you know, get like, out of the situation here. We've got to get out. We've got three minutes left. You know, what? And we just get talking. 
Mm-hmm. You know, had Dr. Crawl on. It was the most interesting sh- interview I'd ever done in my life. Let's go forever. That guy knew more about deer. He knew, I thought I knew something. That guy was phenomenal. If you ever get to shake hands with him, it's an honor. He's quite a guy. And a deal. Quite a deal. And a deal. So. All right. Awesome. That's a wrap. All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, go ahead and give us a subscribe. That way you're going to get a notification every time we put out a new podcast. Chandler, what else should they do? Go to our uh, social media pages and give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Uh, get a subscribe to YouTube channel. We do uh, product reviews there. And then uh, giveaways is a great part of our social media as well. And then we just want to thank you guys for what you guys do and support us so we can do stuff like this. So thank you.